So, uh, it's fun to be back. Uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, last week we had uh, uh, some of our missionary families, Cody uh, from parts in the Middle East, and and Gene and Robin from down in Honduras. Uh, that was really awesome. We hosted the conference the week before that, and uh, some of you got to participate or watch the Shabbat service, and the whole conference was fun. Um, so it gave me a, a lot of time to think. We're going to be talking about the same thing that we talked about last time. We have, uh, I've spent a lot of times pondering this. I've had a lot of good questions come from it. We've had a couple discussions on Tuesday night. And I feel like I've actually got a little bit of insight uh, that, like I said in the text, if you read that, that might provide some clarity, provided I don't make it too complicated. So I'm going to attempt to not do that. I'm going to attempt to just uh, look at this whole situation. And for those of you that weren't here or don't remember what we were talking about, it was this passage of Scripture. John chapter 20, starting in verse 21. Now, the context of this, so you understand the, the flow of what we've been looking at. Uh, and, and if you're new or you're new on Zoom, it'll be real easy to get a hold of the context. This is immediately after Jesus rose from the dead. That night, uh, He comes into the room where the disciples were. They were at the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And uh, if you remember previously, uh, in John's Gospel previously, uh, he had an encounter with Mary. She thought he was a gardener. And then he told her to go and tell his disciples. And, uh, and she did. And it's not evident that they believed her. And if you mingle some of the other uh, Gospel accounts in it, it seems pretty sure that they didn't actually believe her. And there's even one that comes out of this. The very next verse here, uh, after this one, says that Thomas wasn't there, and he said, until I touch him and uh, put my hand in the side or whatever, I'm not going to believe. So um, that's the context. Very human. Very real. But this was very much the first thing Jesus did after he rose from the dead in the timeline of John's Gospel. So he shows up, and uh, he says one time before this, peace be with you. Because as it said in the, in the narrative, he came into the room, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. So he was saying peace. All right, so then we look at verse 21, and, and this is, the yellow is the part Jesus said, and the other is the uh, narrative in the middle of the story. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now the larger context that caused us to look at this a few weeks ago, a month ago or so, uh, in the first place, was rethinking a little bit what was the point of the cross, what did the cross represent as far as the, the, the work of God? Was it a unique invasion at that moment in time, or was it linked to other things that God did? And we've come to, to believe, and I've come to be a very strong advocate of the fact, that, that uh, unless we understand that the cross was the fulfillment of a number of promises made to Israel, all the way back even before promises were made to Israel, when promises were made to Abraham, because that wasn't Israel, when promises were made to Eve and Adam, that, that, that what went on with Jesus in the cross was a continuation, a fulfillment uh, connected. And so the first point of connection is that 
most of my life, and I know in a lot of Christian circles, that uh, Jesus is not thought of as the Messiah very regularly. The Messiah of Israel and God's Messiah. But unless you think of him as Messiah, you're going to be in a tremendous danger to separate the work that he did from the promises. And we're not just talking about a few promises. We're talking about a promise that was given to Abraham that uh, his, you know, he would have a, a, a families over the whole earth, promises to David that uh, one from his seed would sit on the throne and be king forever, and then promises that were portrayed in prophecy, promises that were portrayed in Jewish feast, promises that were portrayed just in regular words that were spoken by various people, uh, dreams that people had and everything else. So we started looking at that. And then the other thing that we started looking at, uh, and, and I give a lot of credit to uh, N.T. Wright for helping me think through this, uh, particularly uh, one of his books called The Day the Revolution Began, uh, but also Surprised by Hope is another great book. He made some pretty significant points about making sure we understood that, that Paul's understanding of theology in the New Testament was connected to this whole messianic promise and the promises to Israel and the purposes of God in Israel, and also that the restoration of our in created value and created role was one of the huge products in this. And so we're going to talk about that. And uh, that's why I've got to, not just because it was a few weeks ago, but because we need to look at that again. So we're going to have a couple review slides. So this is the outline structure that we're going to be reading and thinking about this in, thinking about the work of Jesus and thinking about what, what, who we are and what's been restored to us and thinking about the application of that as it's manifest in forgiving sin. Okay? So in Jesus, the Messiah, the Father forgives sins. Rulers and powers were stripped of their authority. These rulers and powers uh, can be momentums that flow through society, you know, things like greed and stuff. They can be personified in non-divine spiritual beings, and you call them demons or principalities or powers or whatever. Uh, anyway, one of the effects of God's plan of the forgiveness of sin and the restoration and life and new creation is that these rulers were stripped of their powers. And then image bearers, that's us, remember? God said, let us make man in our image. That means, let you be made in his image. You are an image bearer of God. Okay? Uh, image bearers are restored and repentance is opened up, essentially the whole world. So, just briefly, as a fulfillment of God's covenant promises, Jesus, the Messiah, his Messiah, dies for our sin on the cross, according to the Bible, it says there. And that's what that passage is, that he died for our sins according to the to the Bible. N.T. Wright points out rightfully, and it's good to think this way, that's not, according to the Bible, doesn't mean you can find a proof text. It means that he died by virtue of, or in the flow of, the revelation that came through all of this stuff. All the stuff with the lamb, all the stuff with the atoning sacrifice, all the stuff with, uh, with uh, Isaac, all the stuff with all the stuff. So a lot of stuff pointed pointed to that. And that God declares humanity in the right because and in the union with Jesus. And that's the other thing. Our union with Jesus is not a reward for a certain kind of Christian behavior. It's not a reward for a certain prayer. Our union with Jesus was the focal point or one of the focal points 
along with the, the reconciliation of cosmos and a bunch of other stuff. But it was, it was one of the, if not the most important focal point of all of the work of history, all of the redemptive work of history, all of the prophetic work, and specifically the work of Jesus on the cross. It's really important we start thinking in those terms. You are valuable because God sees you as valuable and he measured that value by his willingness, his eagerness. As a matter of fact, there's even some tough verses like in Isaiah chapter 53 where it said it pleased him to lay on him the iniquity of us all. That isn't because God our Father is sadistic or indifferent to his son. It is an expression of your value and my value and the value of humanity that he was seeking to redeem. So we're just thinking bigger a bit, a little bit. Uh, these rulers and, and powers, mankind and nations were slaves to controlling spiritual, non-divine, demonic power. Uh, sin gave those powers functional authority. So let me, uh, I've, I've pondered this illustration a, a couple of times. I don't know how this works, and neither do you. Because we don't, we aren't privy to that whole thing. We can get glimpses of heavenly councils. We get glimpses of angelic meetings around the time when, uh, you know, the, the, the accuser, um, came and said, Hey, consider Job, you know, God said, consider Job and all this kind of stuff. There's, there's various scenes prophetically in the old covenant, old testament that you see into heaven a little bit. There's a few scenes in the new that you see into heaven and there's, a lot more going on up there than we probably think. But there's also things like rebellion. And uh, uh, Revelation chapter 12 talks about a rebellion and a war and all this kind of stuff. We don't know a lot about that. And I don't know that it's super profitable to try to speculate about all those details. But just in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and they were all working together and woven together. And then rebellion, like it always does, created problems. Okay, And part of those problems left the earth and chunks of it or the whole thing under the power of deception, under the power of control and stuff like that, literally under the power. One of the things that happened on the cross with Jesus is that he, this, uh, Scripture says in Colossians, he stripped these principalities and powers of their authority, making a public display of them. And in another place it says, if the rulers of this age and this world had known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Because the act of him being crucified, his surrender to that crucifixion in our hands under the demonic motivation that was clearly evident in that, that uh, mob and, and those powers, it undid the power that they had. And so... As best as I can begin to understand, once sin is forgiven, because sin gave them that power, once sin is forgiven, the authority of that power is revoked, and now they work against you and I, they work in our culture, they do their mischief, they do their evil, they do their horrors, because we volunteer, because we believe lies, because we submit to them, and that's the whole principle. So at one point in time, there wasn't much point and somebody becoming a missionary prior to the crucifixion of Christ. Just think of it this way. And I, I think it's right, uh, and we're open for debate. But at one point, there wasn't a, a whole lot of activity going on around the world where somebody went from someplace, namely Israel, out into a Gentile country 
and and uh, people, all, all kinds of things happen. You have the story of Jonah as an exception to that. But so I'm not saying that it can't happen, but it seems to me that great swaths of the earth were literally under control of demonic deception. But when Jesus died, there was something. Remember, he said, he said, when if I am lifted up, I will draw all to myself. Most Bibles put men in there, but there's nothing about men in that thing. It's all. And so I can envision that when Jesus was on the cross, that uh, when the time was right, when the, play, when the thing was coming into that appointed moment, uh, I can envision some demon in South America that was like a principality or ruler that was pretty successful at getting people to sacrifice one another and do all kinds of stuff and play soccer with one another's heads and, you know, who knows, whatever. Float your boat in that situation. I could see this thing start to pull like this. And, and, and he digs in a little bit with his toes and then goes, Phew! I don't know. I'll draw all to myself. And that thing was confronted with the victory that Jesus was winning on the cross. Now, it's just my imagination. could be totally bozo. But something transpired between the Lord of glory on the cross and all of those powers because their power was broken. And if you think about it in history, think about this. In the last 2,000 years or so, think of how rapidly primitive culture was challenged and how many places around the world has had exponential growth. Has it all been good? No, and that's part of the second thing. But the world's changed more in the last 2,000 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus than it had changed most of the way up to that point in time, culturally, socially, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not a super historian, so I can't prove that, but it has to be true because things have, have just changed all over the place and issues have been taken. So now it seems, because Paul says, don't you know that to whom you submit that you become a slave, it seems like these things still have power in our world. And it's the explanation of a lot of really crappy things and really yucky stuff politically and culturally and, and criminally and, and uh, abuse-wise and everything else. But it seems like it's not a universally granted uh power of the air thing. It seems like people have to cooperate, and they cooperate through deception. So they, 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 they're tricked into. And when they can be, when that light can shine on that, and it seems like repentance has opened up, so that that doesn't have to be the case anymore. Because now you can, as a missionary, go into the darkest places in the world. And I think, and I think this is one thing we're not as faith-filled about, you can also go in the most sophisticated and corrupt places in the world and break the power and the momentum of that corruption, politically, culturally, economically, and everything else. And that's what I think Jesus is trying to show us and why I've been on this thing like a dog on a bone for a few weeks. Um, so the image bears are restored globally. That means that there was an initiation of, of something of the new creation, something of the kingdom being released when Jesus was on the cross, when he died and rose again. It has come and it is growing, and it is growing through things like 
repentance and through like the declaration of the gospel. It's growing through uh, service, love, all the stuff that is God, all the stuff that we're admonished to be as Christians. So the kingdom is growing and spreading. And, you know, one of the ways that people measure that is how many people are getting saved or whatever. Even if you only measure by that, it's astronomical. I, I was listening to somebody on uh, on the Internet the other day that says something about like 75,000 people a day in China are making a confession of Christ. That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, I don't even, I'm not good enough at math to know how goofy that sounds. That's amazing. But anyway... Uh, and I think other stuff's going on. So globally, that's happening. Individually, believers are free, free of that oppression, free of that kind of stuff, or at least potentially free, and they're awakening to being and to serving as the in line with our creative value as image bearers. Let us make man in our own image. Let him have dominion. Let him have all this kind of stuff. And then the church body of Christ, the, the, the body together, we're given the ministry of proclaiming forgiveness and reconciliation, Father's love. And I'm basing that on 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21. As ambassadors, we, uh, we, you know, uh, we beg you, be reconciled to God. Okay, And then John 20, we're going to look at in just a little bit. So this is kind of the plan that I see Jesus' death and resurrection fitting into. And then I see his first post-resurrection uh, official kind of act playing into. And we're going to look at that. So God forgives sin through Jesus. One other thing about N.T. Wright, just by the way, is, is he says that the issue of the world was, was mirrored by the issue of Israel, which was exile because of sin. And when sin is forgiven, exile is re- broken and, and people are returned. And that's a way of thinking about what happened on the cross. Sin was forgiven and the exile where we were under the controlling powers of cultural and demonic forces is broken. And now we're not under that power again. Does that mean we're automatically back home? No, it means we wander around like idiots for a while. But the power is there for us to begin to come and, and grow and, and be delivered. And you can see it. You can see it everywhere if you look. You can't see it on, on the news because they don't show it. But you can see it everywhere else. <laughs> All right, so God forgives sin through Jesus. So how, when, where did forgiveness happen? And this is where now I'm going to ask you, this is a review still, but this is going to require a response from you when we get to the end of it. Because the question is, how, when, and where did forgiveness happen? And most of us, or many of us, have grown up thinking that forgiveness happens when we ask for it. Right, Dan? Unfortunately. (laughs) And uh, through various ways and down various paths, most of us in this room have come to realize, no, forgiveness is something that comes from God by His own initiative. And, And the very fact that we're forgiven is what makes repentance possible. Repentance itself does not create God for God the possibility of forgiveness. God forgave, and that creates the possibility of repentance. It's a, we, we've thought about it backwards the whole time. Okay. So Ephesians one seven and eight says this: In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. So the first thing I want to emphasize in in the last section of our review is there is an equate equating here of we have redemption through his blood and then that is called the forgiveness of our trespasses okay just link redemption and forgiveness in your mind second 
The Messiah did not know sin, but God made him to be sin on our behalf so that we might embody God's faithfulness to the covenant. Now, this is uh, N.T. Wright's translation to this. If you read it in your New American Standard or whatever, it'll say something like, uh, and, and he who knew no sin, or, uh, and God made he who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. The reason I like what N.T. Wright says is he makes a pretty powerful case that God's righteousness is not some random, ethereal, moral perfection, but God's righteousness as it relates to humanity is his faithfulness in keeping his covenant promises. And that is a big deal. And so, as we are being drawn up to righteousness, we're not just being drawn up to corresponding to a random moral standard. We're being drawn into the fulfillment of that covenant, not only as beneficiaries of it in Christ, but as carriers of that covenant ourselves. Meaning, you and I have a chance to walk in the righteous covenant fulfilling nature of God and embrace and draw those around us into their own fulfillment of that, into their own benefit of that, into their own promise of that. So it's a, that's a little bit of a technical point in, in the way Wright translates it, but if you read his stuff and think about it for a while, it's pretty hard not to agree with. So the point in this, the point in Jesus becoming sin on our behalf is so that we can get back into who we were created to be. Let us make man in our image. Let him have dominion. Let him take this out, so on and so forth. Okay? John 12, Jesus says this. After people say, you know, and you remember, a voice came out of heaven and said, uh, uh, I I am glorified and I will be glorified after Jesus said, but Father, glorify me. (laughs) Jesus said this. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. I put men the way it is in the New American Standard, which is italicized. It is there because it doesn't exist in that sentence. So I'm not adverse to saying he drew, drew all men to himself. I'm just saying that's what it reads. But now keep in mind when Jesus said this. It's amazing. He said it uh, virtually on the eve of his arrest. And he was speaking very specifically he, he wasn't, I've even heard this, uh, people talk about this and preach about it uh, in the third person. If he be lifted up, but it doesn't say that. This is from Jesus' own mouth. If I am lifted up. Well, he was. I will draw all to myself. Okay, so that drawing is what covers this. And then this one is amazing, Okay. Jesus is hanging there on the cross. There, everything's gone on that's gone on. The uh, uh, sun, you know, the moon, all this kind of stuff. Everything's gone on. And then Jesus was saying, and it's interesting, New American Standard does get this tense right. It's not like it was just a one-time utterance. It's that Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So do something with me. Close your eyes for a second and imagine Jesus on the cross, by this time weak, certainly beat, abused, and so on. I don't know that this necessarily has to be something you could hear 
a quarter mile away. It might just have been a whisper, a croak. Father, forgive them, but they don't know what they've done. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. So do you have that picture in your mind? Here's the question. I don't know why I was never asked this. 40 years in church. (laughs) Do you believe that Father God answered Jesus' prayer? I do. I do. I believe him. I agree. I believe he answered. If there was ever a prayer that God answered on the face of the earth, or from the face of the earth, I believe that one God answered. And that means something. That means something about how I have to discipline my own thoughts to think about these events. So the next question here is, how is redemption released to grow? Now, okay, so let me back up. I I missed a point. If we believe that, then the place that forgiveness happened is there. Or in response to there. And I don't know how to talk about it more than that. And hopefully we'll have some time to talk about it a little bit more than that. But how then is this redemption released to grow and expand Jesus' new creation? How is the kingdom going to grow and expand? This is why we, I got caught up looking at John chapter 20. The first thing Jesus did after he rose in relationship to his disciples, his followers. So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, one of the things that's been so funny to me is that when when I stirred this up a few weeks ago, every single thing focused on the last phrase in this thing, just about. And I'll get to it. So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. And I understand the nature of of the question. Why in the world would anybody be commissioned or want to retain somebody's sins? Or what does that mean? Or how do we do it? Or have you seen things in the Bible that did it? And I've looked and I've I've got some stuff from George MacDonald that makes a little sense to me. I've shared that with some people. All of that to say, I'm not adverse to that question. But I don't think it's the primary question that should be on the, on the, the front of our, our mouth and, and, and mind in here. Because there's three different things that are said here. Through whom is this redemption released to grow and expand the kingdom? Through whom? Us. Now, we all know that, but we all don't think like that. We want Jesus or God to save us again. So much of the current discussion, culturally and politically, or the the, the discussion over COVID management or mismanagement or abuse, so much of the bizarre economic situation that we're facing and the bizarre political, the temptation is enormous to cry out, God, do something. Right? I'm just positing that maybe he did. And maybe we're it. And maybe we don't recognize it. So through whom is this going to happen? 
according to the first declaration, the first interaction of Jesus after he rose from the dead. And if you want to isolate it to the disciples, that's fine, because we can go back to John 17. I don't pray for these alone, uh, but for those that will believe on me through their name, do you guys believe because of anything that was done by the 11 men in that room? Yeah, you do. Just there when you said, that goes back to the first thing that Jesus said, but before you said the first thing that Jesus said, I thought you were going to say the first thing that God said in Genesis chapter 2. It's the same command. It's the same exact command. Rule and subdue. It's the command restored, the command renewed. Yeah, it is. It's the same command. It's the same command. And quite honestly, if we were to dig in and do a long-term study on this, it would be the same priest and king command that was given to Israel. It would be the same uh, prophet and king command that was given to Abraham. It would be the same prophet and uh, king command that was given to David. Uh, Come in different ways, come in at different times, failing in different ways, and being intermediate in different ways, but God's never lost sight. This is what I'm saying. He's, we are the manifestation in, in these last days of the plan of God from when He made the promise to Eve. So through whom it's going to be us. I'm not going to try to pick on us anymore with that particular point. We'll talk about it a little bit later, maybe. Under what authority? Now, I think this is an important way to think about this verse. Because if really we're God's answer and response to the crap in the world, how in the world can we live with that? How can we rise to that occasion? How can we even be so arrogant to think that we could make a difference in that? Well, Jesus said this unbelievable thing. The way Father sent me, I'm now sending you. Do you think he was thinking, or do you think the disciples had an opportunity to think back to John 5, where the guy came and said, what do we have to do to uh, do the work, the works of God? He said, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he sent. Do you think that call applies to us? Do you think that Jesus believed in those disciples and the ones who would believe through him? It led him to say this. And if he did, then what you said almost is the same thing. Because Jesus said, these are not my words. These are the Father working in me. The work of the Father is in you and I. It has always been designed to be that way, starting with these men and the women. Okay? Under what authority? Well, receive the Holy Spirit. I thank God. I think it's one of the reasons I got so passionate about this when I saw it a few weeks ago, is that the preceding few weeks, we'd talked about the Holy Spirit, and we'd realized that the Holy Spirit ministry is exactly the same every time, every time life is given. It's to create this union. It's to make happen. Creation, um, the, uh, the, the restoration after the flood, the tabernacle, the anointings of death, everything. It's God in you. That's the only reasonable way we could ever accept any responsibility to be the front line transforming, transforming agents of darkness into light. But if we are that, does that maybe, do we need to believe it? I think so. By what means? Now this is something 
that the means is the forgiveness of sin. The means is the forgiveness of sin. I, I don't have time tonight to try to make that case. I will follow that. But it's, uh, it's what Wright said and analyzed all throughout Scripture, uh, that the forgiveness of sin breaks the exile and breaks the power of the darkness that controls us. That's what it does. The forgiveness of sin broke the Babylonian exile in pattern for, for Egypt. The, the forgiveness of sin broke the, the, all that stuff. So by what means? It's by the forgiveness of sins. And remember in Ephesians, when I reviewed that first passage, our redemption and the redemption of this world is the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus, who died in accordance with Scripture. So there's a link between redemption and the forgiveness of sin. I don't understand it fully. And I don't expect you to, or don't ask you to, but I do ask you to let that link live in you and let the Holy Spirit begin to work on it and, and see what's there. Okay, so, who is it through? Us. The ones that are now sent. What is the authority? It's God Himself and His Spirit. And then by what means you forgive? Yeah, Dan. Yeah, it just connected another verse when we did this. Uh, uh, kind of one of those, uh, my brain just got opened up. Uh, the Second Corinthians ten four, where it's the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I've always taken that in the past in a passive sense, or think in terms of well, we can pray and ask God to do stuff, and He's not saying, like there's artillery out there. We like, pray and I can get God again. Yeah. It's, but he, you know, and it's like no, we. You know, the weapons and so forth, as we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and make take captive every thought. The idea is we are actively doing these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're not, and this is part of what you're getting to, is Very much. it's a we thing, not a, not a hey God. And try to convince God to not not a hey do God something. Thing. Not a hey God thing. There's another little interesting thing I ran into, and I think it was in Loa Nita lexicon. But that thing about uh, every uh, vain imagination and lofty thing that lifts itself up against the knowledge of God, I was looking at that, and they made a very strong case for the way that the tense was and that Gnostic that, uh, verb is used of the noticing of God, meaning God is with us. We don't notice it. So in our warfare, we've we got all kinds of vain things, and the primary source of that is projecting that he's a deist, that he's way out there in nowhere. So yeah, I think that's really good, Dan. It's really good. All right. What exactly was Jesus doing and saying then in this verse? And I'm going to try to answer at best I can, and I feel like the Lord kind of touched me, uh, what's going on with this idea of that. So the first thing he's saying is this first half. Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so also send I you. He is commissioning. He is identifying. He is releasing. He's doing something amazing. Okay? He isn't explaining. He didn't say... Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also am sending you, and here's why. Next, receive the Holy Spirit. No explanation, right? I don't even know where you plug this in in relationship to Pentecost later when he said, you know, just before he ascended, which was after this, hey, stay here until you're in due with power on high, but this was real. I don't think it was a do-over on Pentecost. It probably had a whole bunch of other connected things and the timing of God and everything else. Then he said, if you forgive the sins of any... Their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So my point, what hit me like a ton of bricks over the last few days, is that Jesus 
was imparting. He was ordaining. He was decreeing. He was proclaiming. He was being the risen king, not the rabbi. The risen king. And he must have said it with enough authority because there's no record of the guys going, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> the next record in this telling, and I'm not saying there wasn't conversation. The next record in this telling was uh, the guy that wasn't there, Thomas, saying, I, I, I don't believe you guys. I'm not going to do it until I... And he responded pretty strongly when he did, in fact, see Jesus. So the point is, us getting caught up, me getting caught up in the trying to explain the idea of being retained is probably not, not the best way to look at this, and it's probably not the best approach to it, because he was imparting something, he was ordaining something, he was decreeing something, he was proclaiming something, he was releasing stuff. He was not teaching or explaining, and so I asked myself, why? And I don't, I don't hold it against any of the conversation we've had about that, and I think there's probably some understanding about retaining or whatever the case is. But the point is, this isn't a lesson. It's not a doctrine. It is the risen King of glory commissioning himself into his body. And the way, the, the proper response to that is to be at peace to receive the commissioning, to receive the Spirit, to believe in it, to believe in what He did and what He said and who He is, and then to give a whirl at doing that. Now, Jay, where'd Jay go? Okay. Jay said something on Tuesday and, and just made the case for uh, what if he just, what if he just said, hey, this is what it is. And it really resonated, it started resonating. In other words, receive the Spirit. Now, standing as the King of glory, the risen one, who heaven had to receive until the restoration of all things, Peter says in his first sermon. Jesus had a job to do, and now these guys had a job to do. And that job was going to be facilitated exactly the same way it was in him, by the Spirit. He didn't run around doing ministry before the Spirit came on him before his baptism. This is the plan. This is how things work. Anyway, he was imparting, he was ordaining, he was decreeing. He wasn't teaching and explaining because it wasn't necessary. He is with us. He is with them. I've got some verses. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so here's the end. Let me take this first one. So the time for states, yeah, you're close. The time for instruction was passed. This is my first note. There's not any more. The rest we have to write up there. Jesus would be with them by the Spirit. John 17, 20 through 23. Uh, Lord, I don't pray for these alone, but for those that will believe on me through their name. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that the world will know that you sent me. Well, with that on our side, as we venture out in fear and trembling to release forgiveness to the world, we'll figure it out. And you know what? You think it's possible? Uh, John said something in his letter, First uh, John, uh, I don't know where it is. Anyway, he, he said something about praying for people, and he said, there is a sin 
which leads to death. And I don't ask you to pray for that. He didn't explain that either. I don't know what that means. Am I supposed to figure that out? I'll pray for you because you sinned and it doesn't lead to death. But Ronnie, you're out of luck. I think yours leads to death. Good luck. No, that's that can't be it. And it doesn't have to be it. That's what I, I began to realize as I was pondering these things and it was so difficult. He is with us. He sent us like the Father sent Him. How did the Father send Him? Jesus said, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father doing. And then He said, my sheep hear my voice. He said, these words are not my own. They're the Father working in me. Well, the Father was working in Him when He said that. And He's working in us. Because we were sent like Him. It's not more complicated than that, guys. I don't think. I don't think. John 16 You know, when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He's going to lead you into all truth. He'll bring to remembrance everything I said. Oh, by the way, everything the Father has, He's given me. Well, that'll answer the question. So if we decide, and we get together, and we say, hey, we want to extend forgiveness to Jane Doe over here, who none of us like, or whatever. Do you think it's impossible that the Spirit would go, wait a minute, a little check. I mean, he does it in the other way. Richard, he never picks up hitchhikers. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, all it takes is what? Voice of the Lord. And I love the way you told it, because if you told it at all accurate, it reveals something about the heart of the Father. Richard, are you just going to leave him? How many times have you heard people say, you better listen, man. When the Spirit speaks to you, he's not going to speak twice. That's crap. <laughs> He'll speak as often as necessary for you to grow up and be the manifestation of the image you carry. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Uh, John 14, 16 through 20. He's talking about the Spirit, and he says, uh, Hey, um, in that day, I'm, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. The Father's going to send the Spirit. I am coming. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. That's what he's talking about. Matthew 28, 18. It's the end of the, the Great Commission. It's the part, Janet, if you remember years and years ago, we realized we never think of the last sentence. The last sentence is low. I'll be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. So we don't go and make disciples as if it's a rule. We go and make disciples as if we're partnering with the living presence of Jesus. And if you read Acts, that's exactly what happened. He went with them doing good. Okay, so that's it. That's what I've got. Ronnie, you got a question? Okay, well, you don't have to ask one. No one will hold it against you if you don't have one. Does anybody have anything else? This took a little longer than I thought, and I was hoping it would be simpler than it sounded from my end, but I hope it sounds simple to your end. Yes, sir. I do have a question. What good can come from retaining sins of others? If it's directed by the Holy Spirit, it could actually revolutionize an entire culture. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, apart from that. I have no idea. Okay. I have no idea. What if there's a sequence to when people are supposed to repent and somebody needs to stay under the pressure? I don't know. I'd just be speculating, and it's all stupid when I speculate. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Okay, cool. (laughs) Appreciate you asking it anyway. Yes, sir. Is it significant that it talks about in that passage from John that whoever sins ye remit, they're remitted unto them? So whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. I can't help but notice it doesn't say that they're retained to them. It's sort of built into the word retain. 
Um, the simplest translation of the word that's used for, for forgiveness there and the word that's used for retain is let go and hold to. But if I hold on to something, I possess it now. You don't possess it if I hold on to it. If I don't let go of it, I fear that that's not the whole truth. I fear that, and this is why I think we've got to really wrestle through this. If we allow, for instance, our personal offense through news or something to cause us to join the choruses of curses against somebody else, I do believe, because keep in mind, we're not just a person. We are an image bearer of God who has been sent like Jesus was sent. And if Jesus said something that held a sin on somebody or held a darkness on them, I think that would be problematic for that person. So I do think that, that, that let go and hold is, is a potential danger. Was this a warning or was it just a statement of authority? I don't know, but that's what we've been wrestling with. That is, it seems interesting because I was looking at those, the meaning of those words and I, I don't read the language, so I don't understand all of it, but it seems like this might correlate with Mark eleven twenty five, where it talks about whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither, neither will my father in heaven forgive your trespasses. There could be some connection there. I so think there's, it, it just makes yeah. me wonder on that. Yeah. So if, if we're retaining it, is that in fact taking on a curse we're not meant to hold? Uh, uh, it could be. I, I don't know. I'm, yeah. Now, I think there's another related verse, and it's the one after Peter made that declaration, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, this is uh, not you, Peter, but this is the Father that revealed. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. Uh, the only difference between the tenses in that situation is that that's uh, a first person directed at Peter in, I give you the keys to the kingdom, whatever you bind. These is plural because he was talking to a group, I give you. I think those things, all of that forgiveness-related stuff like that, I think can play into our understanding. Um, I just don't know how to, I don't know how to define it to the point of being helpful. So if the Father answered Jesus' prayer, forgive them, they know not what they're doing. Right how can we then substantively prevent that from happening? I, I don't think it's a matter of preventing. I think it's a matter of not releasing it. Not, re, um, not, not doing what we itself. are the ones to do. In other words, Jesus came to reveal the Father, right? And so he did that in a variety of ways. If he had failed to do that, that wouldn't mean that God wasn't the Father. It would have mean that nobody would have known. And I think that there's something about that, us denying people the opportunity to know and go back. And, and I think it's connected back to that thing we talked about with Wright, that at one point there was a sort of involuntary slavery, but now it's voluntary. So the necessity of us proclaiming that forgiveness is so much amplified because, and the potential for it to have effect is so much amplified because people are not by obligation and principle Slaves, they are slaves through deception, slaves through that. So for us to not proclaim that forgiveness is probably a really crummy deal. But I don't know how, I don't know. But not enough to prevent the forgiveness itself. Well, the forgiveness, I think, has already happened. 
on the cross when Jesus said that. Yeah. So is it possible to be living as if you're unforgiven while you're forgiven? I think, I think yeah. it says that in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians. You know, God is not counting trespasses against them. Therefore, we ask you to be reconciled to God. So there's something that's true from God's perspective that is not yet true from men's perspective. And we are asked to stand in the gap and proclaim that truth. Does that make sense? Okay, that's a great question. Okay, Alan? One of the things that the Papa really points out to me is his heart. And I think this is this has got to go along with that. Someone sort of said oh, this morning that they weren't good enough when I was speaking to someone earlier. Um, and I said, no, we're, like God created each of us to be his children. If you know what I mean, we're created, we're, we're, we're formed, we're everything. And it's like my situation where six of my children have completely rejected me. All I want them is not to reject me, if you know what I mean, to come back into the family. And and do, do I love them any less because of their rejection? No. I love them completely the same as I, uh, I love the other three or four who have not rejected me. It makes no difference. But the Father's heart is, the Father's heart is that we just come back to him. And that's all it is. And this, and as you said, this enables, it, it stops the enemy. When I ask for forgiveness on behalf of my children, well, that disenables the enemy. And I think there's a power in that. I'm yet, I've yet to see the result of that, but I believe that is a key. And, and, and that's going to bring them back. In the fact and this may have something, Ronnie, to do with a retention thing. I don't know. But there is an integrity in the fact, not to exploit your situation, but that because your children, because certain of your children, individuals that are your children, are rejecting you, then the actual dynamic of your relationship, not your love, but the dynamic of your relationship is, is not the same as it is with the kids that don't. And that's the truth about, about why the world is the way it is. The, 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 the deeper truth to that is, is it, is it possible that this voluntary deception that is keeping this fruit of relationship away, whether it's your children rejecting you or whether it's people that are surrendered to greed or self-centeredness or lust or whatever, is there a way that those of us who are image bearers on behalf of the other image bearers that are trapped in this self-delusion can release forgiveness and that forgiveness act like a hammer to break something. And I think so. And I want to experiment with it. But I can't tell you what it does because I don't know. But there is that little thing where Jesus says that he who wills to do the will will know of the teaching. So is there enough instruction in this commission for us to try that? Like we're going to have a lift session on Sunday. If somebody says to me, I'd like us to release forgiveness on somebody or on the Congress or something. Well, I am positioned right now to go, sure, let's give it a whirl. I'm not worried about upsetting the kingdom and getting God offended by trying to do what those guys did. And then we had some talk on Tuesday. Well, is it a learning process? Or is, yeah, maybe. Did Peter do it right all the time? Did Paul do it right every single time? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. But enough of this has happened that the entire world has changed in the last 2,000 years. 
in the knowledge of God is exponentially going forward. So, yeah, Alan, bless you, brother. Just keep releasing forgiveness on your kids. It'll be relentless. Yeah, last question. Last question. I don't have a question, but I do think I have an answer. Oh, good. To a previous person. Um, my understanding about ret- uh, the sins, to, you know, about, you know, retain or, uh, and, or forgiveness to be retained or not to retain. And I think there's a question about why would it be retained? Mm-hmm. We can go back to the Bible where, um, Paul said that, um, he was writing to a church. I'm not sure which one, maybe Corinth. And he said, I'm surprised that I heard in your church that one of the fellow believers committing a sin that's even what worse than what the worldly sinner, you know, person in the world is doing. Right. He's having relationships with his stepmother yeah, or something. Yeah, it was. So he said for, for the members to, um, you like, I don't, I don't have the great understanding. My understanding is to take him out of, what, release him to Satan yeah. for a while. Yeah. And then, and after that, for the purification of his soul, and then later on, you know, bring mm-hmm. him back. So that very well could be. That's an, what I thought. Uh, an exercise of re- retention. Yeah. The interesting thing I love about that story is that, that, that is raised in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Paul makes it a point to say, hey, what you did is sufficient. Don't let him lose heart. Bring him back in. Correct. Praise God. So that's, so that's, that's a possibility. Yeah. Right. That's mm-hmm. my part explaining of that. Very good. Standard. Okay. All right. So, uh, praise God. Okay. Anybody else got any thoughts before everybody's up? Squeeze one last one in. Yes. Can you hear me, Larry? Um. I don't know where this fits in, but I was trying to figure it out where it would fit in in your message. Um, in my life, and I'm only using myself, um, I'm not called to everybody. I mean, if you're saying that we're supposed to be like a shotgun and just go out there and do everything and anything to bring people into the kingdom, God has never used me that way. And what spirit says. Okay. I got you. But I, I agree with you 100% in that. I kind of. No, that's all. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a great point to bring up. And that, as a matter of fact, it's more than a great point. It's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is we're not sent out to, to figure out how to be Christians. We're sent out in and with the Holy Spirit to listen to his voice and to do things that are sometimes as simple as picking somebody up when we normally wouldn't, and at other times as crazy as whatever crazy could be.